handles Saul. An aging king is driven to murderous intent by the youthful heroisms of David, he of giant-slaying fame. The setting is ancient Israel, but the story of a nation in transition hit home to an 18th century England, still in political flux when Handel premiered Saul in 1739. It was embedded in a very harrowing part of their political consciousness. It is a magnificently scored analysis of family dynamics at their most extreme. Now we have real threat, real physical impact. And of a nation's collective fear as new replaces old with violent consequences. Saul becomes more and more worked up in his anger and ends up throwing a javelin at David. I'm Katie Derham. Welcome to this Glindborn podcast. Although he is the pivot around which the whole plot turns, we don't meet Saul for quite some time. First, the chorus of Israelites celebrate David for killing the Philistine giant Goliath. When we do meet Saul, it's not long before his praise for the military prowess of the young upstart David turns to jealousy. Behold, O king, the brave victorious youth, and in his hand the haughty giant's head. Young man, whose son art thou? Baritone Christopher Purvis has been getting inside the mind of Saul for many years. It's a big challenge in a way because normally you would expect to be able to warm up, as it were, with a character, show a side that an audience would warm to and want to follow. And that's the challenge, for I think, for myself with Saul. I tried to, to hold back on the vehemence so that people will understand that, that he is first and foremost a man. He may be a very damaged one, but he's first and foremost a man, and he's reacting to the pressure he's under. David, by contrast, arrives as a breath of fresh air. Countertenor Yeston Davis has performed the part many times. David's first aria, O King, Your Favours with Delight, where he bows down to the king, is very literally described in the music. It's this beautifully long-held note, which then descends down to the tonic, and it's a very musical bow. David is presented musically very youthfully. Um, he sings a lot of his arias in the first act are set in three time, triple time, so that it sort of adds a youthful structure to the way he, he's portrayed musically. This adds to the sort of difference between him and the aged King Saul. The stage is set for drama on a huge scale, emotionally and musically, as Saul grows threatened by David's exuberant heroism and his subject's adulation for him. Handel's audience knew all too well the bloody violence that could befall a country in the midst of a turbulent power struggle. Less than a century before, England had witnessed the bloodiest act of the Civil War, 
the beheading of King Charles I. Even by 1739, things weren't all that settled. Dr Ruth Smith is a specialist in Handel's oratorios. There had been two major upheavals. Uh, one had been uh, when the previous dynasty had been ousted from the throne, the Stuart dynasty of James II, replaced eventually, and in Handel's time, with the Hanoverian dynasty. Throughout Handel's time in England, there were attempts to restore the dynasty of James II. Because they failed eventually in the 1745 rebellion, uh, we now don't take these perhaps very seriously, but they were taken very seriously at the time because they were funded, they were backed by the very powerful governments of Roman Catholic, France and Spain. So the whole issue of regime change was alive. In the biblical story of Saul and David, Handel had a rich source to draw upon. He could have fashioned it into one of his many Italian operas, which had been the taste of the fashionable elite for some time. Instead, he composed his first great oratorio in English. Suzanne Aspden is Associate Professor of Music at the University of Oxford. There was a practical consideration that was pretty particular to England, which is that it was seen as inappropriate to stage biblical stories. So for Handel, therefore, to mount performances of oratorio without staging them was obviously financially advantageous, even at the same time as it presented dramatic problems. So you couldn't have performers act, not that, of course, they acted in a way that we would understand today in Italian opera, but he couldn't have them act. He couldn't have elaborate uh, scenery. Um, and that was a great cost saving. However, what that meant for him as a composer was that he had to make sure that the drama was present in the music, the drama that couldn't be acted out through gesture and scenography and movement on stage, instead had to be there in the music. Handel was at the height of his dramatic powers when he wrote Saul. He created an unprecedented depth of drama purely through his music. He even created a proto-psychological examination of Saul's disintegration. Ruth Smith again. One of the most overwhelming sections for me is the sequence where the women of Jerusalem come out to welcome Saul and David. It's the moment when Saul's jealousy of David is triggered, so it's the pivot of the drama that's to follow. When I first got to know this piece in concert, I actually became addicted to listening to one particular chorus. They sing about David having slewn 10,000 in comparison to Saul, who only had his 1,000, and it sends Saul mad, but they, you have this the little bells playing the tune. Handel had an instrument specially built to evoke the world of ancient Israel, the carrion. This is a matter of metal striking metal, and that's what it is. It's a keyed glockenspiel. When um, his librettist Jennings saw it in his rooms, he wrote, with this instrument, Handel intends to send poor Saul stark mad, and that is exactly what happens in the oratorio. I shall burst his faces to hear. 
Saul is driven mad with jealousy. His anger is barely containable. Christopher Purvis. Saul's character infects all the mood of everyone in a way that is dark, in a way is depressing, in a way that is negative. Everyone else is trying to be positive, but it's always infected by this negativity. David tries to placate Saul in one of the opera's most celebrated arias, O Lord, Whose Mercy is Numberless. For conductor Ivor Bolton, Handel's ability to represent the characters musically is unrivaled. This is absolutely fragile sort of number in one sense. It's, it shows the appeal of David, which is the opposite to the sort of forbidding nature of Saul, I think. It's, it shows his youthful naivete and absolute openness. Interesting enough, that's also the same key, F major, as his first diary of all, O King, your papers. And I think there's a sort of naivety to David's writing, which is, you know, fresh and ingenuous, really. And I think that's, that's why he is so appealing. Countertenor Yeston Davis again. It's a very, very beautiful aria, which is followed by a small harp solo, which basically replays the aria, but with ornamentation. And it's a particularly beautiful moment, and I think daring moment, to, to sort of reduce all the drama just down to this one instrument playing. David's appeals to Saul are in vain. Handel makes Saul's first aria one of unrelenting rage. Here, Handel does in concert music what he would never have been allowed to do on a theatrical stage in the 18th century. He musically depicts Saul's attempt to kill David. Saul becomes more and more worked up in his anger and ends up in the story throwing a javelin at David. And rather than being depicted on stage in Handel's time, that is depicted musically through a rush of descending demi quavers. Just before the, the throwing of the javelin, it goes something, 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 anger, and then dum, 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 and that is the portrayal of the javelin being thrown. Now we have real threat. I mean, this is not just, you know, shouty, shouty, shouty. This is physical, real physical impact. Freed from the strict conventions of Italian opera, Handel's writing for his singers began to explore some uncharted territory in Saul. 
he's making the singers work harder at the the emotional side of the characters and um whether or not that's a conscious choice to take away from them the sort of diva like qualities of the castrati who would stop an aria and, and ask to sing a, an encore in the middle of a piece this is very much more playing towards the dramatic side the emotional side and the thought and the overall arc of the piece which is a very modern thing so in that sense we're starting to see handel as why he is a genius and why he's still revered as this great composer of the, the 18th century not just because he wrote beautiful tunes but he was able to set the agenda too The roles for the solo singers in Saul are just one part of Handel's musical palette. The intricacy of the orchestration was a landmark in Handel's career and in composition to date. Ivor Bolton again. Handel was a great orchestrator in the sense of tessitura, the height at which he wrote his violin lines, particularly with choruses. He didn't just double them at their pitch, he often would make a much wider texture using the strings playing higher than the choir. And also, most of all in this, he had a special organ made for this production, a rather big one, and the organ plays a huge dominant part. Any production of Saul, there's a big organ concerto in the middle of Act Two, which I think is a crime to omit, as some performances do. It's absolutely crucial to the whole concept. oratorios, the chorus has a much bigger and more integral part than it does in his Italian operas. In Saul, the chorus plays an important dramatic role too. Just like a Greek tragic chorus, they critique Saul's most shocking actions, serving as the moralizing witnesses to the scene. Upon hearing of David's success as head of the Israelite army, Saul sinks so deep into moral depravity that he attempts to kill Jonathan, his own son, because of his friendship with David. The chorus, again, looks on in judgment. The chorus reacts with horror and with sickening chromaticism, which vividly brings to life the outrage and despair of this nation, which sees its king falling apart. Everything that he has built up over the last 50 years, is he can see it crumbling away. Because of that, I, as playing Saul, I, I will find myself desperate. And that's what I have to portray. I want to try to portray something that people will understand, that brooding sense of malevolence, that, that scary nature when you don't know whether someone's just suddenly going to shout at you for no particular reason. As we begin the final act, Handel the dramatist is in full cry. The broken, shamed Saul goes to see the Witch of Endor to summon the ghost of Samuel the Prophet. 
Saul hopes to find comfort in Samuel's visions of the future. Doubt is something that he can't deal with. He needs to have information, and he needs to have information now. In itself, I mean, this would have been an extraordinary thing for the 18th century. You know, to imagine that you were going to consort with, well, the devil. The evocation of, of the spirit and the spirit world is beautifully done. It's chiaroscuro, it's, it's that sort of, you know, it's threatening, it's got a dark feel, it's got a, a, a feel of, of sort of malice, but you're never quite sure exactly where it is. It doesn't rest. This isn't the first time that Handel used woodwind to particularly telling effect, um, but it just as a reminder that he was a, a fantastic composer for the orchestra as well as for singers. Samuel's visions offer no solace for Saul. Both Saul and Jonathan will soon be dead. And so begins Handel's famous Dead March, written upon the death of his great patron, Queen Caroline, which much later became the soundtrack to a nation's collective grief at the state funeral of Sir Winston Churchill in 1965. The final act of Saul is an overwhelming and detailed exploration of the facets of grief. The chorus returns as the vessel through which Handel can express the atonement of a nation grieving for its own acts of brutality. One Israel, the chorus after the death march is one of the greatest pieces ever written and these are the things that really touch the soul. And I think it's a reflection time of the oratorio is also very important. These are quite extensive reflections on major events in a society's lifetime. 
The reading from the Old Testament in the service for the expiation of the killing of King Charles I was David's lament for Saul and Jonathan. So this text, which forms the culmination of Handel's oratorio, would have been very familiar to his audience, and it would have had immense relevance to them because it was embedded in their political consciousness and in a very harrowing part of their political consciousness. In David's Lament, Handel explores his personal despair at the death of his dear friend Jonathan. Brave Jonathan, he's Not only is it a beautiful tune, but um, it's it's sort of doubly agonising because it's it's such an upbeat kind of aria and it's it's a major key as well. It's not a sad song. There, I think you see a development in David's character, you know, that he is now the main man. His music is tinged by sadness, nobility and pain. David's grieving cannot be allowed to last. As the oratorio draws to a close, the Israelite nation look to David to lead them into battle once more as a glorious warrior. The new has replaced the old in a drama as richly textured as the music itself. It is an enormously rewarding listen on so many levels. It's an epic. It's the story of a nation. It's about the downfall of a dynasty. It's a human and personal story. It's about a family. This oratory, for some reason, more than any of the others, I find more dramatically charged, uh, more intensely alive. There's just so much going on here and so much going on in the music. I think for anybody coming to see Saul, the most important thing is that upon the first hearing, it can wash over you slightly. It's full of amazing choruses, which when you first hear it, it's, it's almost too much. So get hold of a copy of it before you go to see it and just have it playing in your kitchen, your car for a week or two before because it's doubly rewarding when you go to see it. In this Kleinborn podcast, Christopher Purvis sang the title role of Saul alongside Sarah Connolly as David in a coro recording of The Sixteen, conducted by Harry Christophers. 
Yeston Davis sang David's aria, O Lord Whose Mercy's Numberless, in Arias for Guadagni on Hyperion Records, conducted by Jonathan Cohen.